0: We're going to get straight into it. If you've got a Bible on your phone or a real one, um, Matthew 3, that's where we're going to start. Verse uh, 13, Uh, the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. This is his cousin, John the Baptist. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness then john consented as soon as jesus was baptized he went up out of the water at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said this is my son whom i love with him i am well pleased love that didn't didn't ever know that god was from Luton until i read that and he's well pleased with jesus Um, Anyway, tonight we're going to baptise 21 people, Um, and uh, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And if you've not been to a baptism service before or for a while, come back at 7 o'clock because there's nothing quite like it. Hearing stories, how lives have been transformed, and seeing people take that step, go under the water. Um, And so I thought it would be fun to kind of warm us up for that by looking at the story of the day that Jesus got baptised. And there are lots of things that you could highlight in this passage. It's really full of of symbolism and rich theological significance. But the specific thing that I want to focus on today is Jesus' humility. This um, event, Jesus' baptism, it happens right at the start of his three years of ministry. Um, And as you read on through the Gospels, you see that in the next three years, Jesus did incredible things in every way he fulfilled the prophecies and the expectations of the Messiah the king in with miracles and wonderful stuff he proclaimed and he demonstrated the kingdom of God in incredible ways but he also did it in a way that people didn't expect he was humble and gentle he was the king who would ride on a donkey wash the feet of his disciples and ultimately lay down his life And in his baptism, he really kind of sets that tone. Um, Instead of rocking up and saying like to his cousin John, thanks for getting everyone sorted, I'll take it from here, John, he doesn't. He actually opts to submit to John and go through this initiation ceremony of baptism himself. He gets baptised by his own warm-up act. It's a pretty humble thing to do. And so today, as we look at this, I want to consider what it shows us about how to be humble. Now, of course, on the topic of humility, I could give you lots of... Personal examples from my own life about how to be humble, but I don't really want to make a big deal about it, you know. Um, people have described me as self deprecating, but I really can't see it myself, if I'm honest. But um, it's kind of a joke. But um, <laughs> of, for obvious reasons, the example that we're looking at is Jesus, not anybody else. He's the person we're going to focus on. He's our model for humility. Um, and just to give you a summary of where we're going to go, we're going to walk through three steps to humility. God's approval first, God's will first, and then finally God's people first. So before we do that, just a quick look at what this word humility means. So we're all on the same page. Because I think a lot of the time when we talk about humility, what we're basically, when we describe someone that way, we're generally referring to a person who is awesome at something but doesn't make a big deal about it. You know, that's often our picture of humility. And one of my favourite depictions of that particular brand of humility is a scene from a film, um, Notting Hill. I don't know if you've seen it, Um, but there's this great scene where this patronising city banker, uh, played by Hugh Bonneville, meets Julia Roberts' character, and he is completely oblivious to the fact that she's a world-famous movie star. I love it. We're going to watch it. I love it. Wouldn't you just love um, to be in a situation like that where nobody realises and you casually drop in the fact that, oh yeah, by the way, I've got a PhD in that topic that we're talking about or an Olympic medal or something like that. That kind of humility, it's actually quite appealing, isn't it? Because at the end of it, people you know, get to see how amazing you are, but they also get to see how humble you are. It's like a win-win. But the only problem with it is that before we know it, we've become proud of the fact that we're humble which kind of defeats the object, doesn't it? And also, the problem with this kind of surface-level type of humility is that it can feel so good that we get tempted to start to fake it. And so we self-deprecate so that people will praise us, and then when they praise us, we brush off the compliments because we really want some more. And uh, we can go further with this. And as Christians, we have a particularly... I think think, when it comes to false humility, Christians are actually the experts, aren't we? We're amazing at it, you know... (laughs) Like, um, oh, sorry, that's my stomach grumbling. Always happens to me on day five of a fast. You know, it's just how it is. (laughs) It's kind of, it's an exaggeration, but a slight one, isn't it? We've all been there. And I remember a few years ago, I was speaking um, at um, DTI, our National Youth Conference, and on a stage a bit like this. And um, at the time, DTI was small compared to how it is now, um, but it was still a fair, you know, a fair-sized crowd, and I felt like my talk had gone, you know, pretty well, if I do say so myself. And afterwards, I noticed there was this little boy, um, as the meeting ended, hovering by the side of the stage, and I thought, oh, bless him. He's obviously been deeply impacted by my talk and he, he probably wants to give his life to Jesus and he wants me to pray with him. So I, so I went down and I was like, <laughs> he said to me, are you, are you the man that was on the stage just now? And I was like, yes, yes, I am. Yes. How can I help? Um, and he looked, a bit, he looked a bit timid and I thought perhaps he needs a bit of a pastoral side hug. Um, and I said, what can I do? And he said, um, I just wanted you to know that somebody's done a poo in the showers. <laughs> And I was back to earth with a plop. And, but I really did feel that God was in that moment, you know, putting his finger on that seed of pride that had begun to grow. And so, of course, I went and got some rubber gloves, and I said, here you go, mate, go and give it a good scrub. <laughs> no, I didn't really, I didn't really. Now, I'd love to say that since that day, you know, I've got humility cracked. But if I'm honest... Um, I find that in life actually, and particularly, you know, when when you work work as a leader, I find I'm very happy to be seen as humble, um, but less willing sometimes to actually be humble. And it really begs that question, what do we want in life? Do we want to just be seen as humble or do we actually want to be humble? Because true humility is challenging. It's, It's about more than presentation. I would say humility is more like an iceberg where where 90% of it, the majority of it, is the bit that's invisible, the bit that people don't see, the bit under the surface, internal. It's about the way, ultimately, that we see ourselves in relation to God and in relation to other people. What we're living for, who we're trying to please with our lives, that's where humility starts. So this is why, first step, I want to suggest God's approval first. In the passage we read, verse 17, it says, a voice from heaven said just after jesus had been baptized this is my son whom i love with him i'm well pleased jesus at this point was right at the start of his ministry he hadn't done anything he hadn't lifted a finger hadn't healed a headache but the father wanted creation to know i love my son i approve of my son and the holy spirit didn't miss out on that moment the holy spirit was there too and this approval was not based on what jesus had done couldn't couldn't have been It was based on who he was, identity. And um, you know, any parent, any parent who's handled a newborn, their newborn baby will, will be able to empathize this. That moment, you'll probably remember it, where you handle that parcel in your hands that's so far caused you nothing but problems, but gives you nothing but joy. That's just a hint, a shadow, a reflection of how God feels, the God the Father feels about Jesus. But what's more, it's also gives us insight into how God the Father feels. About you, John's um, Jesus' friend John later explained to all who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know, it's ironic that as humans, we do we do so many things for the approval of others, for the attention of others. Sometimes it's through, you know, overt things like just boasting. And driving. Sometimes it's through more subtle things like, you know, trying to squeeze uh, or find a way of squeezing some achievement that, we've, that we're proud of into a conversation or finding an angle so that we can plaster something that we're proud of on social media without looking too braggy, but, you know, you want message out there. Sometimes it's through playing false humility games, telling people we're rubbish at something so that they'll tell us how good we are, paying somebody a compliment in the hope that it will be returned. And the irony is that all of these things we do, all these games we play trying to win approval and acceptance and status, we're trying to win things that we've already got from God. None of it wins us his love. He gives us that because we're his children. None of it wins his acceptance. He grants us that by his grace. None of it grants us status in the kingdom of God. We get that because we're sons and daughters of the king. And this, I think, sort of getting this, grasping this, reminding ourselves of this, is the game changer. It's knowing that we're securing God's love, that God's approval is given to us first because we're his children. That's the thing that frees us. It liberates us. It actually grants us a true and healthy confidence to go and live for God. I love the way that immediately after this baptism. Jesus heads out straight with the the approval of the Father, ringing in his ears, he heads straight out into the desert to go and take on the devil, single-handedly. You see, you can be humble and confident at the same time. The two things aren't incompatible, but it's about where that confidence is ultimately grounded and founded that determines whether we can carry it with humility. So, that's the first step. Before we speak, before we post, before we act, God's approval first. Let's function from that place. And then next step, God's will first. So it's probably helpful to do a little bit of context here um, because the origins of the practice of baptism, like what we're going to do tonight, they aren't totally clear. Um, In the Old Testament, you don't read about people getting baptized. There are descriptions of various ritual washings that the Jewish people practiced that were about making a person ceremonially clean. And the Old Testament prophets also, they did used to talk about, you know, use poetic imagery of washing when they were talking about describing forgiveness and repentance. And there's also, there is some historical evidence of um, a, a washing ritual associated with repentance that was practiced by a Jewish sect called the Essenes around Jesus' time. And a lot of people think that John the Baptist had been part of that sect. But what he was doing out there in the desert in this story is sort of something completely different, or it's something different and distinct. Dunking people in a river, um, and for a different reason. Read about it at the start of this chapter, uh, verse one. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John was kind of announcing, this is a threshold moment in history. I am the sort of announcer that God told would come, and I'm here to tell you that the time has come. The Messiah is coming. The kingdom of God is about to arrive, and it's time for God's people to get ready, to consecrate themselves, to repent of their sins, to get baptized, to be washed clean and ready for the arrival of the king. And it says it 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 was a phenomenon what was going on. It says that um, people, um, verse 5, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And so it was all happening. And so that's the context. And it kind of begs the question, doesn't it? Like, so if John's message was about preparing for the arrival of the king and his baptism was about repentance, why did Jesus get baptized? Like, he didn't, he didn't need to prepare for the coming king. He was the coming king. He didn't need to ask for forgiveness. He hadn't done anything wrong. And this is probably why Jesus, uh, John the Baptist, tries to put him off. He's like, no, you should be baptizing me. But Jesus replied, verse 15, let it be so now. Why? It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness, now, Jesus' answer is a little bit, I don't know what you think of that. It's a little bit cryptic. Um, what does Jesus mean there? I, I, I gather we can get a fairly good idea of what Jesus means by focusing on the words he used, fulfill, and righteousness. Um, those words crop up repeatedly in Matthew's gospel, and fulfill is, is, is generally stressing that Jesus was enacting and fulfilling um, the prophecies of what the Messiah would be like. Fulfilling and then righteousness, in its broadest sense, is about submitting to God's will, which is a mark of, of true discipleship. So, so essentially, at his baptism, at the start of his ministry, Jesus was making a statement to say that right now, he said, right now, at this point in time, the Father sent the Son um, to save the world and serve the world. And so, so this was the way it had to happen. Why was Jesus did it? Because that's what God wanted. It didn't matter, in other words, what other people were expecting Jesus to do. It didn't matter what the onlookers thought. Oh, he's a bit bit weird, the Messiah, getting baptised by his own disciple. None of that mattered. All that mattered to Jesus was what God's will was. And so this baptism was the first step of God's plan for Jesus' ministry. And that's a vulnerable place to be, to just be surrendered to whatever God wants. I often think about how vulnerable people are when they get baptized, you know, when, when we do it and we hold people under the water, it's a vulnerable posture. And it's incredible, really, when you think about it, that Jesus, the King of the universe, chose to, to, to go into that vulnerable position of trust, being held under the water by his cousin as a model of obedience to God's will. And what we see as you read on through the Gospels is that this was Jesus' kind of way of operating, not just in this moment, but throughout his ministry here. He was the King who prayed, not my will, but yours be done to the Father. And that's how he lived. And so there's something being modeled to us in this. Being a humble Christian means doing the same as Jesus. It means, you know, being obedient to Jesus and being obedient to God and being obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, not just in the little things and not just in the visible things like going to church or wearing a cross. It requires more than being polite and Self-deprecating to be humble like Jesus, it requires that we ultimately seek God's will first in our lives, in all things. Surrendering to his plan, his definition of what's right, over what we want, over what anybody else expects of us. Now to do that, that is a vulnerable thing to do because it involves relinquishing control, handing it over to him. God might ask us to do anything. He might ask us to give up wealth because he wants his money put put to use somewhere else. He might ask us to give up a position of status because he wants an opportunity for somebody else to emerge. He might might ask us to give up that comfortable feeling of just having our own way and yielding to somebody else in a conflict or an argument for the sake of a loving relationship. For the sake of the kingdom of God, God might even ask us to give up our our well-earned, well-deserved reputation of being a normal person because he might ask us to do something that people don't expect. This this week, I was chatting to a couple of friends who um, both have um, or had high-earning salaries, good jobs. But over recent months, they have increasingly felt God calling them out of that and into something else. And so they've done it. They've given up the company cars and the position in the hierarchy because of this sense that God's calling them to something new And so um, they're getting stuck in. They're starting the first Alpha course in their local church for years. They're getting involved in work with young people in their local area. They're working on projects to house vulnerable people. Basically, they sense that God's up to something and they want to put that first. And they're going for it. That's humility. So just to recap, first step, God's approval first. Second step, we've just been talking about God's will first. Yielding control to him. And I think really these are kind of like the foundation. If we want to be humble, have to do these steps before we can then move on to getting practical and starting to actually put God's people first. And when I say God's people, I don't just mean Christians here. I mean every single human being on this planet who is fearfully made in God's image and is worth so much to him. And as before, Jesus is our role model in this one as well. Um, And this is evident at his baptism. Remember I mentioned briefly before Jesus didn't get baptized because he needed forgiveness. He did it, of course, because we did His descent into the water and ascent from it was was a foreshadow of his journey into death and on into resurrection and the fact that that he himself chose to do that, the fact that he himself chose to get, to get baptized is really important. it shows us something that Jesus didn't just sympathize with our needs. He didn't just recognize the problem of sin that humanity had. He actually identified it with it. He actually entered into it. Um, 2 Corinthians um, 5, Paul says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin, to identify with sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see that word righteousness again. Do you remember John the Baptist said, Jesus, you don't need to go under the water, you're you're the king. But Jesus said, no, it has to be this way to fulfill all righteousness. Fulfill righteousness. Centuries before, Isaiah had prophesied, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. And Jesus, in choosing to get baptized, was telling the world, I've come to do that. I've come to do that. Just as the... um, The songwriter Graham Kendrick points out in that song, Servant King, the hands that had flung stars into space were about to be surrendered to cruel nails. That's what humility is. And so if we as followers of Jesus, like him, want to be humble rather than just look humble... Do you see that Christ-like humility is about more than the surface? It's about more than being polite and self-deprecating. It's costly. It actually involves identifying with the needs of others and putting them first in our lives. It serves. Humility serves without asking. It gives without seeing. It waits without grumbling. It listens without talking. It forgives without reservations. And it makes sacrifices that only God sees. It occurred to me as I was writing this talk that probably the best story, the best stories of humility, I can't share them because nobody knows they happened. Isn't that amazing? As Jesus' friend John said, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And I would suggest that in that, that applies especially to those that can't do much for us, the last, the lost, and the least. I think it's how we treat them that really shows us how much our humility really does resemble that of Jesus, who laid down his life for us when we were absolutely helpless. So, final recap. Before we speak, before we act, before we post anything, before we go to the next meeting at work, before we go to the next party, three filters. Am I remembering it's about God's approval first? being mindful that my worth comes not from what I've done, what I've achieved, but who I am in God's eyes? Am I going to him for my security and then living from that place? Secondly, am I seeking God's will first? You know, that thing that I'm working towards, that thing that I'm striving for, that thing that I'm fighting for, is it actually what God wants or is it just what I want? Am I willing to wake up each day and pray that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. And finally, am I putting God's people first? One of the points I've tried to make, really, is that if our humility doesn't involve putting other people first, if the primary beneficiary of our humility is us and we just look good, then that's fake. That's fake humility. It has to be about more than appearances and lip service. It has to, it has to involve sacrifice. And... Um, and as much as these three steps are challenging, um, the, the, the thing that I want to finish by saying is, is a word of encouragement, really, because I, my genuine reflection is that this is a church that should be commended when it comes to humility, because I know so many of you, and I see people all the time who get this, who live this out, who embody this. Um, and just as an example, it's been so ins- inspiring these last few weeks, as we've gone to three services, seeing so many of you, for example, s- take your place and join new rotors, um, serving on a Sunday, um, not for your own benefit, but so that others can experience God and, 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 and get involved at church. And if you, it, there's an invitation if you'd like to get involved. We've got plenty more spaces on the teams. But it's been wonderful these last few weeks to see this, to see hands that that do wonderful things in many cases, Monday to Saturday, coming here and doing quite humble things on a Sunday. Hands that might spend the week, you know, performing operations in the hospital, coming here and picking up crayons, changing nappies. Hands that might spend the week signing and writing valuable contracts, playing the keyboards in the background and leading us into God's presence. Hands that, that design beautiful, wonderful things, making cups of tea so that people will feel welcome. I love it. And the truth is, all of it, what we do 24 7, all of it, whatever we turn our hands to, can be done with humility when we understand who we are in relation to God and who we are in relation to others. Wonderful things can be humble things, and humble things can be wonderful things when they're done for God and for others. Mm-hmm.